Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Arvind Gupta, Managing Director and Founder of uh, IndieBio. So, Arvind, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, I'm really glad to talk to you. I know IndieBio is uh, you know, a preeminent company. Um, so, if you wouldn't mind telling listeners, tell me about IndieBio. What's the premise? Uh, how long have you guys been in operation? Yeah, absolutely. So, IndieBio is a venture capital fund uh, that is funded by SOSV, um, and w- which I'm a general partner. Uh, and so, what we do is we fund scientists uh, to become entrepreneurs and solve the world's most pressing problems using biology as a technology. And I came to this premise uh, really over the last 20 years. I started uh, my life as a, uh, my professional life as a genetic engineer, um, studied genetic engineering in college, uh, and then just realized that the uh, speed of biology did not match the speed of my attention span or the shortness of my attention span, um, especially back then. It was just very, very, very slow. Um, and so I went on to do uh, design, uh, industrial design, uh, and worked at a company called IDEO where I really learned the tools of using a process to, uh, to productize technology and to create product market fit and uh, and really bring something that is a possibility into a reality. Um, and then took the next step of uh, doing a startup myself. What's that? No, you're saying, hmm, okay, I like the fact that you said there's a process uh, to productize things instead of just, you know, invent something and then hope that people will love it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's great for one-off inventors, but I think uh, if you can create something repeatable and, and really uh, understand the major... Uh, points at which things fail and they, you know, understand the major points at which things succeed, you can up the probability of success for hard tech companies. And in doing so, you really can start to create a vehicle that moves the lever on humanity in a positive way. That was worth really diving into venture capital to do so and really uh, dedicating my life to that change. Uh, and so that's really become the purpose of my life, which is to help scientists uh, become entrepreneurs and leaders that can identify how to take their specific insights and turn them into uh, globally impactful, world-changing companies. great example of that is, uh, you know, in our portfolio is Memphis Meats um, and Clara Foods and our entire cell, cell ag, cellular agriculture uh, portfolio. The idea of eating foods which were being produced by uh, cellular factories. It was a foreign concept until about three years ago when um, I started funding them uh, out of IndieBio. And that, and that has changed the, the conversation about how we produce our, our food. Uh, that's what I mean by it. And so okay. applying a design process to, uh, to building these uh, technologies into consumer-facing, uh, person-facing products is, is exactly what we do at IndieBio. Well, can you uh, incubate listeners' minds for a few minutes? Tell me about the process and why is it so critical? Where do companies go wrong? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, 
big part of where companies go wrong is they think that the, whatever it is that they've, they've come up with is the solution. Um, and they often think that a, the problem they're looking at is a big problem. And oftentimes, it's a, product of the, it's a, it's a problem of the times or it's a product uh, that doesn't really have an audience. And uh, because they've, they've assumed a lot of things about their potential customer that simply aren't true. So I, I always say this, actually, for both IndieBio as well as the companies that, that go in um, or come through, uh, really, we're, we focus on the problem more than the solution. And I think the more you focus on the problem, the more you'll understand the right solution. And so the founders that we select need to be flexible, uh, need to be broadly minded. Uh, and also have to have the, the expertise to navigate sort of different ways of, of solving that problem. And that problem will always be extremely large. Um, but oftentimes the entryway is a very precise sort of chink in the armor of that supply chain, let's say, or of a customer's uh, pain point. And then using that as a beachhead, you expand your product offering or your product footprint to really uh, own their entire, that, that entire technology space that you're, you're serving. So, um, you know, there's a bunch of great examples of that uh, from IndieBio, uh, but, you know, where companies have come in applying uh, as a food company, but realizing their technology can be used for something fundamentally very different, um, and then they go on and, and raise a bunch of money uh, because they hit traction in a very different problem space that they hadn't considered before. We also have the opposite. Yeah, can you give me um, can, can you give me an example? And then yeah, uh, well, so here's a good companies, example. Do you see companies raising money first, and then uh oh, they have to pivot, and does that cause them a problem? Or you know, what's the example the of this? Like really, that sticks out all the time. Um, and I think uh, you know, one example, a really good example actually, of knowing your customer is um, is XDEM, which was in our very first class. They they make uh, mesenchymal stem cells uh, and sell those to researchers. And they had a process that can make mesenchymal stem cells 300 times cheaper than the current method. And so it was kind of like, wow, okay, that's got to be a no-brainer. And so they built the technology and they went to go sell it. And when they went to go sell it, all the researchers told them the same thing. We don't care what the price is because we're not paying for it. Uh, the government is. Uh, through grants and things like that. So the, what, what the researchers cared about was actually something very different than what the problem they were trying to solve, right? Uh, and so the pivot was very fortuitous, which was in understanding their customer, they understood, they learned, um, and only because they went and talked to the researchers in their labs, they learned that, wow, the, the gender, the age, the race, uh, ethnicity, all of those things were more important um, about the donor for those stem cells than the actual price of those stem cells. And so their technology, what it allowed them to do was actually harvest stem cells from, from patients uh, at a much higher rate than others because they can store them uh, at a cheaper cost. And so that ended up becoming the business, which was not to compete on price, but to compete on variety. And that, that really, would, that knowledge only came from talking to the researchers in their labs. Uh, and there's, you know, there, there's just a, a lot of those examples of, of companies um, starting in one area and then ending up in another area. 
that is slightly similar, um, but really a very different uh, product. Yeah, another place is the business model. So you think you can solve a problem and you think people will pay you a lot of money for it, but especially in the world of healthcare, which is extremely complicated uh, and, uh, and multi, uh, sort of multi-player um, uh, industry, where you've got payers, buyers, patients, all these things. How do you create a sustainable business model out there? So we have this company called Mental Health, and Mental Health is matching cancer patients to clinical trials. Uh, using AI and natural language processing. An interesting thing, I mean, when they, they came into the, in the bio, we all expected the patient to pay for it, right? If you're a cancer patient and you can get back to a clinical trial, that's got to be worth a few hundred dollars to you, right? I, I, that was my assumption. Um, right. It turned out when they launched the, the product that it wasn't true. Um, patients, uh, you know, oncology cancer patients aren't used to paying for things like that. And so it was strange for them to go out to the third party and pay for something that didn't um, come from necessarily their doctor. Um, and so the next question was, well, would the doctor pay for it? And the doctor is certainly not going to pay for it because, you know, in their mind, it's someone else's clinical trial. What's in it? You know, there's, there's nothing for them that makes it something they can pay for. And so that left a very strange place for Mendel, which was now you've got an extremely valuable service that can help save lives and improve the process of making oncology uh, treatments, and yet no one would pay for it, uh, even though it's creating real value. Well, you have to follow the value chain, right? So one of the interesting things that happens with mental health is you get both genomic data, uh, i.e. a patient's uh, genome and tumor um, sequence, but you also get their medical record which is their phenotypic data, so who they are and all those things, all in one place. Those two things being in one place is very rare for a number of reasons. But when they're together, you can do what is called stratifying a patient, understanding exactly who they are and why they might be responding to a drug and why not they might be responding to a drug. And the pharma companies care very, very deeply about that. And so they will come in, and the, and the business model finally being pharma became the payers, where they would come in and pay for that data so they could better stratify and uh, conduct their clinical trials as well. Uh, and that's, a, that's turned into a, a really great business for mental health. Okay, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I would bet you get hit with you know, a proliferation of ideas. Do you require applicants to first go through classes you have where they have to learn the process and you know, commit to uh, going through it before you even look at them? Or are you not that selective up front? No, I mean, I, what we look for up front is really what's the problem they're trying to solve, right? Is it, is it a problem that could address a billion people or a billion dollars? If that's true, then we understand, uh, you know, is this founding teams uh, a team that can execute against the sort of technology or business problem that they're trying to solve? And then the third is really, can you make a business out of this? Is there someone willing pay, to pay for the value that's being created? And then uh, really the last one is all the nuts and bolts of, okay, you have to come to the accelerator uh, for the duration of the time, which is four and a half months. Um, you, you have to be coachable, things like that. Uh, you have to be willing, you know, you have to want to, to learn uh, from someone else. Uh, some people aren't, and that's fine, but it's not the right place to be a mindset for IndieBio. Um, and so th those are all the things that we really look at. 
do you have uh you know how do you teach this process part is it formalized in a class or classes or is it just you know you hook up with a mentor in indie bio and they shepherd you through the process it's um more formal um and so what we do is we have a series of talks uh we have a talk every week we have a panel discussion every week we have a board meeting every week um we uh, have what's called a science roundtable and a business roundtable where teams can discuss with each other the problems they're facing both in science and in business and troubleshoot. Um, and so, and then the content follows a vague uh, order of uh, product development. So in the beginning, it's all about, you know, understanding your customer and then understanding your product and then understanding how product market fit and then understanding problems of scale, adding team members, uh, corporate culture, things like that, and then finally culminating in business model fit and making sure you have a scalable business by the by demo day. And that results in over uh, well over half of our companies getting funded uh, for an average of about $2 million each company. Yeah, I was going to say, if, if uh, you give them your stamp of approval and they've gone through your incubation process, it sounds like it's a lot more easy, it's a lot easier for them to get funding. Can you compare? You said your rate's about 50% success. What's the common rate without incubation? 30% or less. And so when I give oh, wow. that number, yeah, when I give that number, I'm also giving a more stringent number, which is companies that have raised, have raised over half a million dollars. Uh, you know, if a company raises 50K, we're not going to call them raising money, uh, although a lot of people do, uh, because we're not interested in sort of adding any numbers. We want to know that these companies have a real shot at success as opposed to, um, you know, have an uncle that, that gave them some money, uh, but no one else was convinced. Right, gotcha. Okay. Uh, what's the process for uh, getting into your incubator? Is it difficult? Is it, you know, a long application? Is it a cost? You know, it's kind of funny. It's one of those things that I'll say it's not difficult. Um, I mean, we, we accept a very few, a very small percentage uh, of our applications, uh, you know, around 2 two to 3%. But but really, it's always a struggle to fill the class for me, it feels like, in the sense that, you know, it's easy if you have, uh, you, you've really thought about a problem that you're passionate about. You really have insight into that problem because you are passionate about it and you understand how that problem could unlock a huge amount of human value. Um, if you have those things and you have the technical capabilities to be able to, to make that solution happen, uh, and of course, that's going to happen across two, two to three people usually. Um, I'm, we're, what we're looking for is, is very rare. It, you got to really want to, you got to really understand the problem deeply. You have to be passionate about that problem. Uh, and you have to have a, a te the technical ability to uh, solve the problem. And if you can do those things, uh, you know, usually across two to three people, then we'll help you with the rest, right? And we can build that business together. But I think it's, it's, it's hard and it's rare to find those things together, you know? But I think everyone should keep, you know, you should always be trying. Like, it, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, it's pretty amazing to think that for $250,000 now in biotech, you can build a viable company. Um, and that's that's game changing for I think humanity in general, where we can solve issues of planetary health and human health in ways we've never really thought about before. And because the dollar amounts have come down, we can we can try things that no one was everyone was too afraid to try, like you know hamburgers without cows and um, and you know filter, filtering uh, filtering liquids with size rather than 
I'm sorry, was shape rather than size. So it's just a lot of different um, types of things you can do, not just make uh, different types of uh, pharma drugs. Right. And then um, last question or so, you mentioned a few projects. Any project or projects that really stand out at you as just being mind-blowing if they can get there? Yeah, I mean, in our, one of our most recent classes, Prelis, is uh, 3D printing human organs using uh, lasers. Uh, you know, and they're able to, they've already demonstrated the ability to print a lymph node and that lymph node create antibodies uh, when presented with an antigen. And they're working on microvascularization, which uh, is preliminary looking very strong. So, you know, that's a world, if, if they're successful, our world will change in the sense that if you need a new organ, you'll walk into a hospital, they'll take a swab from your cheek, send it to Prelis, and then within a month, Prelis will have built, have, have uh, grown an organ that is from your own cells and uh, quality tested it, you know, they have, have run quality assurance on it, and then you go back into the hospital for the transplant. Um, and that would be absolutely game-changing for every single person in, um, in the country on the list waiting for an organ. Definitely. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Arvind, um, you know, we're running up against the clock. What, um, what are some resources or suggestions for listeners that are interested in applying or learning about your existing startups? <clears throat> Where should they go? What should they do? Yeah, don't be shy. First, come to IndieBio.co. That's our .co. That's our website. Uh, you'll get a bunch of information there, but I think really important, uh, important uh, just know that as a scientist, you could become an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you could find a scientist and together build a, a literally world-changing company through biology. Um, it's the most powerful technology on the planet, um, and the market sizes for the problems are generally in the trillions, like human health and planetary health. And um, there's a lot, of, a lot of great change to be, crea- uh, to be made and created through that technology. So um, use your imagination. I think a lot of people get locked into what they know um, as, a, as a technology. And so a hammer you know, starts looking for nails, uh, as the proverb goes, um, but really start thinking about uh, what else, you know, the, the problems that you see. How can your knowledge of biology and technology be leveraged into different problems uh, that you're seeing in the world? And then I encourage you to apply to Indie Bio. There's a, there's a, you know, we're going to talk to you and we're going to learn much more and uh, and I'd love to work with you. That's great, Armin. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it and uh, thanks for the resources for listeners. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, having me on the show. I look forward to it. You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.